Thank you for having me. It's very good to be here with you today. I've uh, looked forward to it. Uh, we unfortunately had uh, a big event scheduled at our church today, so I uh, did what I thought was right and sent my family to do the event that they should be participating in at church, and I am here with you gladly by uh, having scheduled this before I knew about that. <laughs> and uh, very happy to be here. Um, so I want to um, I want to I want to speak today about the, the parable of the talents that we just read, and uh, I I will uh, I, I, maybe I can take this point to ask it. Uh, I mentioned this to somebody earlier. I lost a Bible a few a few months ago. So if anyone sees a black leather Bible laying around somewhere, I don't I have been looking for it for months. So I'm reading out of tiny print from one of my children's Bibles. Um, there are, there are, uh, we speak to Christians from the Bible. We explain complicated things from the Bible. But there's any chance, any Sunday, that someone may be with us who is investigating the, investigating the claims of Jesus. What is the Bible about? What are Christians about? And... Uh, <clears throat> If you are, maybe they are listening on a podcast or, or seeing the sermon afterwards and wondering what Christianity is about. And this, this passage is a complicated passage. And it is one that is complicated for Christians. So uh, I, want to, I want to say something clear up at the front, the beginning, for, for two reasons. One is it's really important to be clear about this. The second is it's actually going to come back around by the end to being related directly to the passage. But I want to say this. The Bible's teaching may be full of details, but what you need to know to start is not complicated. People rebelled against God and were sinners. People were separated from God by their sin, and the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus died for our sins according to Paul's gospel. I say Paul because he's the one that says according to my gospel when he says that. Salvation comes from putting your faith in Jesus Christ. God sent him as an atonement for sin. He died on the cross, was raised on the third day, and the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's in charge, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's, that's what we wish for you to know if you are wondering about Jesus. He wants to save you from your sin. He, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. He is seeking you out. And He comes to you to forgive sins. There's no sin that you have that is too great for Him to forgive. And if you are uh, hearing the sermon today and saying, it sounded like you gave me a bunch of other complicated details, a bunch of passages I'm not sure I remember, and a, it's fine. It's fine. There's some confusing stuff. We, could, we keep reading the Bible because God wrote 
very simple things, and then he re-explained those simple things in complicated ways. But once you get down to what the meaning of the complicated things are, it's the same simple stuff. And that's a funny thing that happens when you read the Bible. When you listen on the radio to a some um, some radio preacher who is leading some bizarre following of people into all of his details. I'm thinking of the likes of the Harold Camping types that would give you, oh, this is the date of the return of Christ, and the, here these numbers mean these things. Part of the reason that it's intriguing to people is the Bible does have a lot of numbers and puzzles in it. I want to tell you, if the person telling you the answer to those puzzles tells you an answer that is not also clearly found somewhere else in the Bible, they got it wrong. Because once you get down to the bottom of all the puzzles, it's just a beautiful way of saying the same thing that was said everywhere else clearly. And that happens over and over when you read it. There's no secret knowledge. There is secret wisdom to understanding the knowledge, but the knowledge you need is at its root, God saves sinners by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do you have to do to get it? Turn, look at him. Get on his side. You don't even have to be good at being there. He'll keep forgiving you. He just wants your loyalty. He wants you to say, I'm his. That we call faith in Jesus Christ. So let me read this passage again. It was good when Ken read it. It's going to get it in your mind now that you know this is the one we're, we're uh, reading from. The parable of the uh, talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. To another, two. To another one, sorry, two to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now here comes the part that gets really confusing. Because this is a parable of the kingdom of God. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. <clears throat> I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. 
You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take a talent, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, cast the worthless, I'm sorry, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you feel like you just got told that God was merciful and gracious and kind and uh, longing to save people who can't help themselves and, um, and then I read a passage that sounded like God was hard and unfair and cruel, um, <clears throat> then you are, then you are feeling, <clears throat> you are feeling correctly with your ears. So, the answer at the end is not going to be that. If you really understand the word of God, you'll know that God is cruel. I, I, I was. Um, I had ordered some sound effects for the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, um, when, uh, when you feel that it's difficult to understand this passage, the passage is working. Uh, if you read a parable and you're not sure what it means at the end, you read a parable. Do you know? Um, So many things to explain here. What is a parable? What is a parable? A parable is a riddle designed to keep people from understanding. That is why Jesus teaches in parables. I, I think that we all get told by some cartoon Sunday school book that parables are simple explanations to help heavenly things make earthly sense. And that is contrary to what the Bible says about parables. When the disciples ask Jesus in Matthew 13, getting old, I cannot see this. Um, <clears throat> Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says... You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. With the, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. God is saying there are people who do not wish to understand. There are people who have turned, who have, they can barely even hear what I'm saying anymore. They have shut their eyes. They, are they, have, they have tried not to see what I'm saying. Because if they did, I would heal them. But they wish not to understand it with their heart. They understand it. Seeing, they do not see. So we're not saying that the parables can't be taught to a non-believer. Parables can be taught to a non-believer who could explain them in a college class. But then go home and not worship Jesus. And that person has seen, but not seen. Because his heart is dull, his eyes are closed, and he does not wish to come to Jesus. What will that man get from Jesus? What does he have? He has been handed something, and what is he doing with it? Nothing. He's been handed the Word of God. What is his heart doing with it? Nothing. Why? Because he doesn't have faith. What is the difference between the, the disciples and the Pharisees who are trying, that Jesus keeps teaching these parables in front of the Pharisees and the scribes? What's the difference between the disciples and the Pharisees? Well, the, why are they, they're both gathered around Jesus. They're both talking a lot about Jesus. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to have him removed. At some point, they begin to plot to have him killed. And by the way, they succeed. The Pharisees are not there because they love Jesus. They're there because they hate Jesus. A lot of people talk about Jesus because they don't like him. There's also a lot of people who talk about Jesus because they like him, but they don't love him. And to the disciples, it is completely different. These men go on to lose their lives for Jesus. These men are invested. They've been handed something, and what their heart has done is combine it with faith. You can hear the gospel, you can know the gospel, and not have heard it. You not have understood it. And what we don't mean what the Bible means here when in Isaiah by understand is not <coughs> comprehending fact knowledge. You can know the fact knowledge but not understand it with your heart because if you did, you would turn and God would save you. If you really knew what it was saying, you'd be saved. So that takes faith. And the Bible says that faith is a gift from God. And to the one who has faith, more will be given the kingdom of heaven. But the one who has not, even his comprehension of the facts will be taken from him. He knows the facts, but he has not faith. Even what he has will be taken from him. This is a principle laid out at the beginning of the parables. Number one, the parables are a gate, a guarded, a guarded uh, gate around comprehension but I'm going to let some people in who will I let in? my friends so if you have friendship with Jesus if you love Jesus you get to come in even if you don't understand the parables 
And this is how this works. Notice this. You can hear the parables, but not understand them. But you can also understand the parables and not comprehend what the words mean. If you are a Christian, I could even, I could poll the children, raise your hand if you love Jesus. And I could say, they may never even have heard these parables, but they understand them. If you're a Christian, you understand the parables. Now, comprehending them with your brain takes digging. And that is a thing that is given to us as a gift to occupy your mind for the rest of your life as you circle and recircle through the parables trying to figure out exactly how they mean what they mean. And the moment you think you're certain you've got it, you should probably reread them. I, I, was, I was saying to someone the other day that um, five minutes after this sermon, I'm sure someone's going to come up and point out hey, what about this in the passage? And they're going to show me something about it that I had never noticed before, and they were probably going to be right. So uh, the, the parables are things that I, I have read over and over. And I had, uh, I was talking to uh, uh, Jonathan White about the parables recently, and he said it took him many years to realize that, you don't have automatic comprehension of the surface level of the parables when you read them. You don't just assume you know them. Um, so having said that, did you notice that Jesus says in Matthew 13 exactly the same words that he said in Matthew 25? In Matthew 25, he said, To the one who has, more shall be given but to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So I'm going to tell you my opinion is right now, um, I, right now I'm going to tell you that my opinion is that Matthew 25's passage is very similar to the seed of the sowers. And that it is actually talking about the same thing with some different emphases. The word talent in English, shift gears here for a second. The word talent in English, oh, they sing so well. They're very, very talented. What a, what a wonderful skill at the piano. Very, very talented. Where does that word come from? That word comes from Matthew 25. Because this passage has controlled the, word, the way that word has gone out into our, into our languages, many languages use the word, of some form of the word talent to describe giftedness. What God has given you that you need to use. And I believe that that is a completely wrong interpretation of the word. Uh, it's been around, attested in medieval Latin around the 11th century was the first time they started seeing that in medieval Latin. Then it came down from French and into English meaning talent means a gift. But talent in the Bible means a brick of metal or some weight of coins or something that is an amount. It's, it's not very well specified. It kind of changes from place to place the value in the ancient world. But a talent was a heavy weight of a lot of money. Uh, so if you imagine a bar of gold or something like that being a talent, you may be closer to the fact of what's actually happening. The master gives five bars, 
two bars and one bar, something you could bury physically. And, um, and, I, and I don't think that this passage is talking about uh, your need to invest your time, talents, and treasures in the kingdom of God. That is frequently what is taught when we get to this, this passage. And I, and I noticed that a lot of people's interpretations reading about it. I also noticed a lot of, um, I want to tell you about this because I think you'll find it pretty interesting, that a lot of liberal interpretations of this passage that uh, lamented people's uh, time, talent, and treasure sermons that come up in the fall when this passage rolls around in the lectionary and, and saying, well, what really is happening here is there was, uh, in the ancient world, they believed in a zero sum of wealth. There was only so much wealth, and if you were gaining wealth through investment and getting interest, you were stealing from someone else because there was only so much. So if you grew, someone else was decreasing, and so to gain through investment was to steal. And then we see this, this is confirmed, this idea of bad, bad financial practices is confirmed in the passage when the master comes and the, the servant says, I knew you to be a man who would reap where you didn't sow, gather what you didn't scatter. You're a thief, and I'm standing up for you. I'm not going to give in and have stolen through investment. I'm not going to go uh, get interest as interest was Ill illegal in, in the Old Testament to gain interest from an Israelite. When that's, that's true, but it's not illegal to gain interest from anyone, just from an Israelite. But they'll point this out and say, so you see that what we have here is the one servant with the one talent is the only good man in the passage. He is speaking truth to power. And that's what is about to happen when Jesus is about to get crucified the next week. He comes in. And this is a, this is a little intriguing, but I think that they expect us to assume socialism at the beginning of their explanation and then say there's no way to trade to a higher amount of money. There's no legitimate investment. Um, and I think all of that basically doesn't matter because this, some of the, because the context of this demands that we see that the master in the passage is God. So whatever you're doing, that can't be the interpretation. Jesus did speak truth to Caesar and Herod and um, but he didn't just he didn't he wasn't there to just refuse to be corrupt and um, what Jesus was was doing was calling calling the kings of the earth to worship God uh, and saying by the way I mean me uh, and that's what got him killed was the that they claimed that he blasphemed in calling himself God, making himself equal with God. So let, let me point out here about the, the, uh, the claims that they have that, G, that the master in the passage is somehow wicked. Um, just for a bit of context, listen to uh, Deuteronomy 6. This is when they're about to go into the land. Deuteronomy 6.11 says, 
I'm going to back up to verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So that, that passage there tells the Israelites, I'm going to give you a gift, and you are going to go reap what you did not sow and gather what you did not scatter. Now, is God at fault? Is God doing something evil when he gives the things that belong to the Philistines to the Israelites no why because all the earth is his he says in the first giving of the law if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments you shall be to me a treasured possession but then he the next phrase is uh, amongst treasured possession amongst all the nations of the earth, for all the earth is mine. God can't take something that's not his and give it to you. Because everything is his. And those cultures that descended in disobedience to God once knew him and turned away from him, and he's repossessing his own possession and handing it over. Now this phrase, though, calls us back to that kind of a thing. And when you find, when you say, I'm confused, is somebody getting something wrong here? Yes, somebody is getting something wrong, but not completely. The, the steward with the one talent, I need to call him the, the wicked servant, so we remember who, who he is. The wicked servant is speaking half-truths out of fear. He's saying things through a, a lens of seeing he does not see. He knows some things, but he doesn't in his heart comprehend how it is. And you'll notice that people who know about God but don't know him misrepresent him frequently. And this is what's happening. He's misrepresenting God. And this, when, when God comes to his creation, we have the same kind of reaction that we had in Matthew 25. And I believe this is a key to understanding this. Do you remember the story where the Lord took a servant, handed his servant his things, and said, I'll be back, and then came back, and the servant said he he had a a dialogue with the servant about why did you not do what i said and what's going on here and the servant said i was afraid and i hid do you remember what this passage is this is adam the first thing in the bible god's servant put in god's garden to guard to tend and to keep god's things what was the goal of that garden? It was to keep the garden right there on a mountaintop in, in uh, its location, but 
to spread outward. You know what it said that there were no plants growing out outside of the garden? Why not? Because there was not yet a man created to work the ground. So the goal was eventually to follow those rivers down out of the garden, taking the seeds of the garden and spreading, spreading God's garden outward. Tending God's garden, obeying him. Where did all the stuff in the garden come from? It came from the ground. It says that the plants came up from the ground. It said the animals were formed out of the ground. And it says that Adam was formed out of the ground and he was called ground. Adam means ground, dirt, earth. And he was formed from the ground. And even Eve was formed from a rib of ground. Everything was made from the ground and was to be taken outward. God comes back to Adam in the cool of the, the day. And Adam hears him coming and hides. And God says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well... I knew I was naked, and I heard you coming, and I was afraid, so I hid. Remember those words, I was afraid, therefore I hid. And God says to him, Adam, how do you, how do you know that you're naked? Where did you come, with the, come up with this knowledge? And then God demonstrates what should be done for someone who is naked, which is not immediately to cast them out, but is to cover them up. God kills animals, takes their skins, and covers Adam and Eve. And uh, it takes a death, a dying thing. Life was given so that they could be covered. And that's a picture of the gospel. Jesus dies to cover our sins. In, in uh, Matthew 25, so he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talents in the ground. If you're reading the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, these are the same two words. They're not in the exact same forms because grammar has to happen. You've got to put things in the right place. But it's the same words, the words we get phobia and crypto from, right? I was afraid and I hid. It's the same words in both passages. And in both passages, the person who hid, hid because of some special knowledge that they have, that they should not have. And I want, to, I want to pull that point from Genesis and apply it here to Matthew because Jesus is telling an Adam story here. So we need to listen with Jesus' framework and put it back onto the passage. Jesus says, the master returned to his thing, to his servant, and said, what have you done with it? And he says, wait, wait where are you? Well, I was afraid uh, and I hid because I knew something. How did you know that, Adam, is the question we should be thinking about with this servant. How did you know that I'm a hard man? How did you know that I'm a hard man? I want to go on to explain that. 
How does Jesus treat the woman at the well? Who is the woman at the well? She's a, a woman who has had multiple extramarital relationships. She's divorced. She's had multiple husbands. The ones that she has at the moment is not her husband. And Jesus does what? Bring calls down fire from heaven because no one should live like that. That's not what he does. He tells her about what she did and reveals himself as a prophet and accepts her worship. And she runs back and evangelizes and immediately bears fruit. Immediately is changed. He is tender with her. She is changed. He loves her. She's a sinner. What does he do with Zacchaeus? Sinner. How does Jesus treat the uh, how does Jesus treat the lepers? He touches them. How does he treat the uh, even even that famous passage with Jesus about shall not give your what the children's food to the dogs sounds like an insult, but he's having a fun he's having a fun and pleasant game with the woman who is understanding what he's saying. Oh, well, I shouldn't should I? Do you think I should give the the kids food? to the puppies of, of the house she says well those those dogs do live in that house right so they they have the same master as the children so they end up getting the same crumbs that fall on the floor right and he says yeah I think you understand better than some of my friends do Jesus is gentle with people who need him one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible and I can say this every time I have a sermon is in Isaiah where it says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not put out. He doesn't trample things that are holding on to dear life. I speak a lot, I talk a lot with people who have hair triggers to, to the terrible kind of OCD where you're constantly not certain you're saved. I have some dear friends who are afflicted with these things, and I like to remind them. The Bible says, the Bible says that if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. You hear at the end of this passage that the, the wicked ones are cast out into outer darkness. But Jesus says, the one who comes to me, there's no way I will cast him out. And that means, if you're worried that, well, I can't remember whether I did the right thing to get saved yet. We, we trust Jesus for that. Well, but what if I'm not elect? That's a terrible question, by the way. Because if you want to be, you are. Just get that in your head. If you want to be elect, you are. If you want to have been elect, but you're not certain that you are, you, you are. If, and this is the, this is the phrase I've, I've been saying this over and over for the last few months. If you want Jesus, you have him. If you want Jesus, you can have him. He doesn't trample, he doesn't trick, he doesn't play games with salvation. In this passage then, 
how does this guy know that Jesus is a hard man? Because Jesus is a hard man. How is Jesus a hard man? You know what Jesus says? I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to bring a fire. And oh, how I wish it were already kindled. Do you know that the phrase that they will be cast out into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth shows up six times in the book of Matthew. And it's always Jesus talking about how Jesus is going to judge the world. Jesus judges sin harshly because Jesus is a fair judge. But you wouldn't know that if you wanted him, would you? If you came to him and wanted him, you're not going to experience that. This is secret knowledge that someone who has tasted of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, <laughs> defying the command, has suddenly come into possession of the knowledge, I am condemned. Now we often, as, as you sin, you still feel this in your guilt. But when people, when this man has been given something and the master comes back and he says, I know that you're a harsh judge. He says, how do you know that I'm a harsh judge? Are you experiencing guilt for not having obeyed? Now remember, this is a parable. This is not how God's daily interaction with you. This is an overarching story about Adam. How do you know that I'm a hard man? Have you suddenly experienced the knowledge of good and evil? You should have come to me for covering. If you couldn't go earn that stuff yourself, if you weren't a good trader, you should have taken it to the bank. They would have done it for you. They would have invested your money for you and you could have still made me money with that bare tiny amount of knowledge. And so what I believe that Jesus is saying here what is the talent that has been given? The talent is the word of God. And what does it mean to have? It means to have faith when you hear the word of God. And if you have, to you more will be given and in abundance. But if you take the word of God and do nothing with it, you don't understand it with your heart, that could mean that you're apathetic. It could mean that you're hateful toward God. But if you do not in fact, hear the word of God and turn to Jesus, then you will be cast into outer darkness. That's the truth. But it's a truth that no one has to experience. Because the truth is that Jesus is ready to give abundance to anyone who wants to come to him. So my plea with you is this. Jesus is a good and kind and gentle master. The passage doesn't teach us that you need to be clever enough to invest your money somewhere. And it also doesn't teach that if you're great at singing, you need to use that for the kingdom or you're going to be cast in outer darkness. That's, that's a problem with interpreting the passage that way. There are people who... Uh, who, in fact, don't pursue some of the good things of God because they are convinced that their talents need to get used. Um, there, are, there are people who would say, well, I would get married and start having children, 
but I have this talent I, the world needs to know for the sake of God's kingdom. And so they choose their uh, English word talent over the command of God to be fruitful and multiply. I'm not saying if you've done that, you're cast into outer darkness. What I'm telling you is the talent interpretation is not the right interpretation. But you should not prize your own talents, your giftings, above obedience to God. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about having a heart that is tender toward God, who when his word comes, you receive it with joy. Just like in the parable of the seed and the sowers, it grows up and it takes root. Let God's word take root in you and find his tenderness and his abundant giving to you. Remember that parables are confusing and when you wish to explain the gospel to someone, don't do it through a parable. I'm explaining this to a church on a Sunday morning. Right? I mean, it is in there for us to explain, but if you want to, if you if you're going to pick a parable, then pick then pick the uh, treasure hidden in a field. Because that's I found something valuable and I'm willing to give up everything to get it. That's if you're willing to give up everything to come to Jesus, you will in no wise be cast out. Now, uh, I want to I want to pray for us that we can take all this in, be motivated to share the gospel, be motivated to know that we're safe in Jesus, and then I'll be ready to take my lickings for all the things I missed in the passage after, after it's over. But uh, let, let's pray, uh, thanking God for his word. Father, I'm very thankful that you like to tell us things clearly so we can know what they mean. And then you also delight in letting us work to find the deeper comprehension of the same exact things. To treasure the beauty of your word and not just the goodness of it. I pray that you will bring people to know Jesus. That Jesus is forgiving for sins and sins are truly evil and God hates them, but there is a willingness of God to save, and it doesn't require us to be good enough to get it. Thank you for paying for our sins. Thank you for giving faith to your church. I pray that through your word being preached, many will come to faith in Jesus, and they would know your abundance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.